we pull the pin and see what happens. I think there's a song something like that. Let's drop the big one and see what happens. It's a Randy Newman song. <laughs> Very funny. That's, you're dating yourself, Dirk. <laughs> but, well, I'm, it's I'm, my song. It's, okay. You remember short people? Yes. They got no reason to live except to be radio announcers. And other duties. <laughs> <laughs> we move headlong into another edition. You can tell it's Friday, can you not? Here at uh, midday on the Rural Radio Network. Uh, and uh, it's time to play Where's Susan again. Give us a couple of hints, will you, Susan? Um, I'm in the to- driving through the town right now where we have a four-time state wrestling champion. Uh-huh. Well, let's go to uh, Jason Jorgensen is shaking his head. That could be a lot of different places. It's just off the interstate, Jason. Hmm. It starts with a W. I'm going to go with Waco. You win. Hey, all right. <laughs> uh, so you are, uh, we've located Susan on the road somewhere. And where are you traveling to today, my dear? I am actually on my way to York. The Nebraska Corn Growers Association has a leadership event taking place all today at the Holtz Convention Center, and I am one of the uh, media folks that will be in attendance uh, starting at noon today to talk about media and ways that they can incorporate us into telling their agricultural story. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be fun with the... Yeah. With the NCG folks in York at the Holdis Convention Center. That's a gorgeous facility. And you'll be joined by uh, Steve White, as I understand. Yeah, Steve White and I will be there. And so it's always fun when the two of us get together. We've been joking back and forth today on Twitter about our our sports affiliate likings of the National Football League. So it's been pretty good. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Well, Steve's a great foil for any form of humor. So uh, you just go at it with him. All right. Let's see what's going on in the Ag Team today. Coming up at 1219, Al Dutcher joins us talking weather. Definitely that spring-like feel with the cold and the wind and the rain. And he'll talk more about what we can expect in the upcoming forecast. 1245, Brandon brings in his chat with the Chancellor, the Focus, and CTA Curtis, and all the great ag stuff they have going on there. And then the 199A, you've heard lots of talk about it. Now we can add Dilly Dilly to the conversation <laughs> as Anheuser-Busch has added their name to the list of folks contacting those in the House and Senate about 199A. That's coming up at 117. Dilly Dilly. All right. Thank you, Susan. Dilly Dilly. And it's uh, sports time with Jason Jorgensen. NCAA tournament moves into the second round or second day today. Of course, there were a couple of stinging upsets yesterday. First game right now has Providence underway against Texas A&M. Probably the biggest game of of note regionally would be that uh, Creighton and Kansas State matchup. That is set for this afternoon. They'll play in Charlotte, North Carolina. That one will start at around uh, 5.50 Central Time. Also, if you have not heard the Husker baseball game today with Northwestern State, they will not be playing that. Uh, they'll play a single game tomorrow. So all of that and much more coming up in sports. And we continue with this week's Greet of the Week. How's your bracket? Yeah, <laughs> It's Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are higher in midday trading on Wall Street. Meanwhile, the Labor Department says employers sharply ramped up their demand for workers in January. That was a, uh, a report that everybody was uh, waiting for. Also, housing starts fall and factory output jumps. Those things and many more coming up. All right, it's all coming your way today on Midday. 
And with Ag Weather and for Paul Perkins, I'm Dirk Christensen, brought to you today by Holdridge Irrigation. Your Ag Weather is rainy all across the state of Nebraska. Wet conditions over the southern half and particularly the east. But as you get further north and you're seeing the encroaching colder air move in. In fact, we're seeing now down into the temperatures uh, dropping into the upper 20s now in the northern panhandle and uh, across the uh, Across the Panhandle, we're seeing temperatures no more than the freezing mark right now, and it's getting to right at that point the Valentine, Ainsworth, O'Neill, and Norfolk areas. And uh, to points a little bit further south, we'll begin to see those temperatures drop um, through the afternoon with rain. Continued likely today, low-pressure tracking across northern Kansas. A few thunderstorms remaining possible, and rain totals in most locations from a third to a half an inch across the center of Nebraska on into the east. We'll be looking for the higher totals as you go further north, and the cold air mixing in on the backside here makes that wintry mix possible in most areas. We've just taken a little tour of the Nebraska Department of Transportation cameras and finding plenty of winter driving conditions in the Rushville-Gordon area on over into the Pine Ridge, of course, and down uh, as you uh, come further south into the Arthur Hyannis areas and Ogallala. Sydney also is reporting some slower driving conditions even along I-80. The wintry mix is made possible by that colder air and it remains possible through this evening before we get to some clearing skies overnight with sunshine returning through most of the weekend. High pressure will take hold with rain and thunderstorms likely by Sunday night as more low pressure makes itself known and a more southerly track could lead to some higher rain totals with wet snow possible and colder air on the backside of that low as we head into the new week. It will then dry up again by Tuesday through Thursday with temperatures gradually warming up and another system looks to impact the area by next Friday. We'll get more detail on all of this coming up at 1219 as Shaley Peters talks with Al Dutcher. The midweek warm-up doesn't last long, though. The long-term forecast now will indicate seasonal to warmer than normal temperatures for the middle part of next week for both Nebraska and Kansas. Late next week through then March 29th through both states, temperatures should trend cooler than normal. The precipitation outlook calling for mostly above normal precipitation in Nebraska through the 29th. Kansas precipitation closer to near or below normal. Better chances of dry weather over that already moisture-starved southwest. Very little rain for Argentina. Promising moisture chances in the southern plains. The key weather items for market watchers today in the southern plains. High winds and wildfire warnings are in effect today, which are maintaining that high stress level on the wheat. Rain is indicated for much of the Kansas crop area now through the weekend. Western Oklahoma and the Texas Panhandle will miss out. And these areas also look to continue dry now for the balance of the next 10 days. These areas look uh, in the uh, in the long term as though there's not uh, a lot on the uh, on the horizon that's going to change those conditions very quick. In the Delta, very wet conditions will continue to hamper the spring field work there. A new system may bring more rain by Sunday into Monday. 
Then widely varying amounts of rain expected in Argentina for this weekend. Moderate to heavy rain is indicated for the eastern cropping areas. Central and western areas may only see light to occasionally moderate showers. Drought and dryness continue to affect the filling of corn and soybeans. Again, we'll have comments of Al Dutcher coming up at 1219 today during midday. For today, northeast winds gusting to 22 miles an hour at the moment with humidities everywhere at 93% and light rain here at the studios. Varying amounts of precipitation border to border and end to end in the state of Nebraska for today. 38 degrees right now and that is your latest in ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation and for weather anytime, krvn.com. Ricketts encouraging the president to support a strong RFS. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska sent a letter to President Trump on Thursday thanking him for his support to the renewable fuel standard. The letter also encouraged President Trump to reject any proposal which would weaken the RFS that has been pivotal in growing Nebraska agriculture. He said economic conditions today are testing the resilience of the American farmer. These challenges would only be exasperated by demand-destroying alterations to the RFS, a policy which has been a lifeline for farmers, driving job growth and attracting billions of dollars of investments to rural areas where opportunities are needed most. Governor Ricketts had previously testified in support of the RFS in front of the EPA and has served as chairman of the Governor's Biofuels Coalition. A member of Congress representing Wisconsin dairy country says U.S. dairy products are at risk of trade retaliations. The European Union has voted to retaliate against President Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs. U.S. Representative for Wisconsin's 3rd District, Democrat Ron Kind, says agriculture, specifically dairy, is in the EU trade retaliation list. When countries decide to retaliate if they think that we're in violation of some trade rule, they usually hit agriculture, and, it, and so far we're hearing cranberry and dairy is on the list, and we can't take that hit right now, especially our cranberry and dairy producers who have been struggling with pretty tough markets for the last couple of years. While the European Union has not publicly announced its trade retaliation list in response to the tariffs, McKine says he can confirm U.S. dairy will be targeted. Having just been together with the EU ambassador, they say that that is one item of our production that's under consideration because they're not dumb. They know where to hit us and where it's going to hurt the most, and that's what I'm worried about. Kine says that he's concerned what further harm to the dairy industry may do to U.S. dairy farmers. Dairy producers, many of them are barely hanging on right now with historically low prices, with no relief in sight, and now you couple in any type of retaliation. We're also holding our breath with NAFTA renegotiations so we don't lose our number one dairy export market, Mexico, in the course of these discussions. All this just starts building up and creates more uncertainty and making it a lot harder for our family farmers to stay in business. The steel and aluminum tariffs announced by the Trump administration are very unpopular across the U.S. ag sector. Kine says the U.S. should be forming an internally alliance to address China's dumping of steel into the U.S. market, not casting a wide net that includes trade partners 
who are not violating the trade rules. The European Union classifies cranberries as a retaliation target in response to President Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs. Bloomberg reports cranberries are among a basket of all American goods, from peanut butter to bourbon whiskey and Harley-Davidson motorbikes. Now, for more than other destinations and accounts of about 12% of domestic production, for the U.S. cranberry sector, 95 million pounds of cranberries are exported to the European Union each year. Cranberry Institute Executive Director Terry Humfield says targeting the small ag sector does not make any sense. Cranberry production is a niche market in the U.S. with roughly just 1,200 producers. However, the United States is the world's largest producer of cranberries, with output up 20% since 2010. Meanwhile, Democrat Ron Kine, representative from Wisconsin, says he continues to have a conversation with representatives from the European Union recently, talking about these targeted lists. That's a look to your ag news. You can find out more at ruralradio.com. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, couldn't quite make it through the whole week with having some cooler, wetter weather making its way into parts of the state. So is this the expectation? What are we looking at headed into this weekend and next week? Well, kind of a mixed bag. Last week we talked about the potential for storms coming in this week, and this actually came out in two pieces. And in fact, this upper air low that is moving through the region so this first piece of energy moving across the state is primarily focused on the central plains, essentially from the northern one-third of Kansas and points off to the north through the, the western Dakotas. And basically moisture wrapping around this system is leaving a fairly significant area of, of well-needed moisture in some locations, especially across the northern third of the state. Unfortunately, the inclement weather that we're dealing with is a mixture of snow, rain, ice. But as the day progresses and that system moves, slowly toward the northeast, it's going to get sheared to some extent by the weak leftover upper air trough in the eastern United States. And so as that weakens, we'll start to see some clearing conditions as we go into tomorrow. And we should see some of that last all the way through at least the middle of Sunday before the main low itself begins to pivot toward our region and precipitation is likely to increase as we go into the second half of Saturday, particularly in western Nebraska, and then that will override eastern Nebraska. And we'll go through the same process as we did with this storm, although the track of this upper air low looks to be a little bit farther south. So we might actually get some limited relief, and this is very limited relief, in the southern portions of Kansas, and that system will continue to deepen and intensifies it moves toward the eastern United States and once again we'll be dealing with another nor'easter as that big trough reestablishes itself in the east and that system runs up the coast that'll keep conditions cool for the early part of next week and it looks like Tuesday to Wednesday depending on how rapidly this troughing pattern evolves in the eastern United States we'll begin to see some of the warmer air invade western Nebraska so sometime around midweek we'll see that warming trend and then another piece of energy pivots into the west. Unfortunately, nothing that I see points to significant relief in the drought-devastated areas that we've been talking about in the southern plains. Looks like all of this energy will be to the east of that area or to the north of that area. And unfortunately, with that such dry conditions down there, it's contributing to the dry slot. And just not enough moisture overwhelm those drier layers. It's going to take a very slow-moving system to park itself over the southwest and slowly migrate eastward 
before we probably are going to see significant moisture relief into the wheat belt. We keep seeing these systems eject to the north and to the northeast, like they have been out of California lately. Then it's going to really focus on the central and northern plains. Now, the one thing I would caution is that this active storm pattern began about four weeks ago. And if we look past the last 12 to 15 months, we have had these periodic episodes of heavy precipitation lasting four to six weeks. So I'll be watching with keen interest as we go through the next couple of weeks to push it up on that six-week limit to see whether or not we break down the pattern of troughing in the western United States and reestablish a ridge to the west and a trough to the east as a semi-permanent feature. That would allow us to get a little bit drier weather as we move into the early planting period for corn, but it would also raise concerns about expanding dryness in the southern plains. So a very interesting spring ahead of us, unfortunately. All right, thanks so much. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the first round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament is continuing today with 16 games. Texas A&M leads Providence at the half, 28-27. The second early game had Purdue up over Cal State Fullerton, 17-12, midway through the first half. And in just a few minutes, Wichita State will battle Marshall. Games of note, Creighton squares off with Kansas State. They'll be playing that one in Charlotte, North Carolina. That one is due to tip off at around 5.50 Central Time. The Nebraska women, they'll start up playing the NCAA tournament tomorrow when the Huskers face off against Arizona State. Head coach Amy Williams told the Rural Radio Network this week about when she knew this year's Husker team could be special. You know, a couple turning points for us this season. When we were able to go to Kansas and hold Kansas, who hadn't lost on their home court up to that point, to 12 second-half points, and we got a really quality road win there. And then a double overtime win at Drake. I think that uh, kind of pushed us over the hump a little bit. Also of note, freshman Taylor Kissinger and Minden, who was injured late in the regular season of that game in Maryland, she is back, and Williams says she should be ready to go tomorrow as the Huskers battle the Sun Devils. Tip-off tomorrow is set for 2.30 Central Time. Another basketball news, Georgia has hired former Indiana coach Tom Crean as its new head coach. That capped off a fast-paced search that started when Mark Fox was fired just last weekend. Crean was 356 and 231 in 18 years at Marquette in Indiana. He's had success this time of year. He has led nine teams to the NCAA tournament, four Sweet 16s, and the 2003 Final Four with Marquette. Well, the Husker football program kicked off spring practice today under new head coach Scott Frost. Effort is the biggest thing that he's looking for this spring. Uh, but I don't want to see guys dip their toe in the water. I want to see them dive in head first, do everything they, they can possibly do full speed. Um, we're going to make mistakes. We don't have a coaching staff that's going to yell at him or cuss at him for making mistakes. We're just going to teach him to do it the right way. So I want guys to go at it as hard as they can and uh, approach it with an attack mentality. Another football news, South Dakota State University football coach John Stigelmeyers pleaded no contest to drunken driving. He was arrested in the late January and later apologized for what he said was a poor decision. He pleaded no contest earlier this month, and the judge granted a suspended imposition of the sentence. Now, if Stigelmeyer complies with the terms of probation, the case eventually will be wiped from his record. He is the winningest football coach in school history, leading the Jackrabbits to a 148-97 record in 21 seasons. And due to the weather, the Husker baseball game scheduled today against Northwestern State. That has been canceled. This now would just be a two-game series. Game time tomorrow is set for 2 Central. 
That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. A winter storm warning in northern Nebraska today and a winter weather advisory today in the southern panhandle. I'm Dave Schroeder. A fire chief says no one was injured in a plane crash at the Hastings Airport. Firefighters and other first responders were dispatched to Hastings Municipal Airport around 8 a.m. this morning. Hastings Fire Chief Kent Gilbert says only a pilot and co-pilot were on board. The plane crashed upon landing, ending up with the snows on the ground. He couldn't say what caused the twin-engine aircraft's carrier's mishap. Airport manager David Wacker says he doesn't know whether winds gusting over 35 miles per hour played any role in the accident. Wacker says a plane is operated by Ameriflight, a cargo outfit based at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. The speed limit has been bumped up to 65 miles per hour on Highway 30 in Buffalo and Dawson counties, and changes and increases could occur on other highways in the state. Jenny Campania with the Nebraska Department of Transportation says a great deal of research was done to arrive at the decision to raise the speed limit. So we look at a lot of things. We look at how many access points there are on there, what the speed that most motors are driving. And so we look at all of those things. And then for those who have been paying attention to the debate that's been going on in the legislature, you might have heard about the 85 percentile rule. So we look at to see what 85 percent of the population is driving, and that's what we try to set the speed limit on with all other safety factors taken into consideration. Campania says a recent traffic study focused on the rural portion of Highway 30 from the Wyoming-Nebraska border east to the west edge of Grand Island. Based on the research, the majority of that stretch will see speed limits increase to 65 miles per hour. She says this was a roadway that had inconsistent speeds, either 60 or 65, for reasons that weren't apparent. Meanwhile, a proposal in the legislature, LB1009, introduced by Senator John Moranti, which is not directly related to the boost on rural Highway 30 speed, proposes increasing speed limits by 5 miles per hour on interstate highways, four-lane expressways, and two-lane state highways. A judge in south-central Kansas says Kansas's newly confirmed Secretary for Children and Families has improperly reversed an adoption decision for three children in foster care. The Wichita Eagle reports that DCF Secretary Gina Meyer-Hummel recently said the children should go to their grandfather instead of being adopted by their foster family like originally decided. Sedgwick County Judge Kevin Smith says the decision potentially placed all three children in serious harm. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network in our weekly Chat with the Chancellor series here in the spring 2018 semester. This week, joined by a special guest, Dr. Ron Rosati, the Dean of the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture in Curtis. Dr. Rosati, over the last few weeks, we've had a chance to talk with all of the chancellors throughout the University of Nebraska system about the significant budget cuts proposed for each of their campuses. As for the NCTA campus specifically, what cuts are proposed, and with those cuts, is there ever a possibility of the NCTA campus closing as a result. 
Let me jump right to the last part of your question there. All of the units of the University of Nebraska take very seriously our responsibility to be stewards of the resources entrusted to us by the citizens of Nebraska. As a result, during tough budget times, we take a step back, we look at all of our operations, and we ask ourselves a series of questions, such as, are we focusing on the top priorities? Are we being effective in our academic programs? And are we doing the right things for the people that we serve? So we've evaluated NCTA in that light, and when we do so, we're very pleased with the effectiveness of the institution. NCTA serves an important mission of workforce development for Nebraska's agricultural communities, and it's very effective in accomplishing that mission. Please be assured that NCTA is here to stay. When we analyzed NCTA, we were pleased to see that it ranks among the top two-year colleges in the United States at accomplishing its mission. We studied some federal government data. About five or ten years ago, the federal government started tracking graduates from colleges and universities across the United States. And just a few years ago, the government started publishing that data on a website called the College Scorecard. And they ranked all the two-year colleges across the country, and NCTA is one of those. So when we evaluated NCTA uh, this past year, we looked at how it ranked compared to its peer institutions across the country, and it did very well. Let me give you just three points of assessment. NCTA is ranked as the number seven U.S. two-year college for graduate career success. That's based primarily on employment upon graduation. About 92% of NCTA graduates find employment upon graduation and for the 10 years following graduation. So when we compare NCTA to the other thousand or so colleges in the United States, there's only six of them that have a higher employment rate. Another piece of data that we got from the college scorecard was the average salary of NCTA graduates. The average NCTA graduate, 10 years after graduation, makes $49,800. And that ranks NCTA as the number 11 two-year college in the United States for graduate career salaries. And those are colleges across the country, so that includes the high cost of living areas such as New York and California. And one last statistic was return on educational investment. Primarily, that's looking at salary divided by cost of attendance. And on that parameter, NCTA in 2017 was ranked as the number one two-year college in the United States. So the college is doing very well. Certainly, appropriation cuts will result in some institutional belt tightening. We'll reduce our travel expenses. We delayed some staff hiring, reduce the number of scholarships. We're trimming our operational budgets and we're postponing the replacement of some dated teaching equipment. However, the mission of educating a skilled and knowledgeable workforce in agriculture and veterinary technology will continue stronger than ever. Dr. Rosati, there's always so many events that occur on any college campus, and NCTA is no exception. Tell us about those events that occur as a matter of course within the realm of student life and student affairs, as well as those special events that NCTA hosts throughout the year and especially the next several weeks. One of the unique aspects of NCTA is the large number of academic enrichment activities we have on campus. These are extracurricular activities that are tied to our academic programs. We've found that our students are more motivated and successful in their academic disciplines when we keep them engaged in competitive agricultural events. For example, right now our livestock judging team is competing at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo down in Texas. These are some of the activities we have coming up during the month of April. The weekend of April 7th, our stock dog team is 
hosting stock dog trails on campus. The next weekend, April 14th, the NCTA Ranch Horse Team is hosting its annual competition in McCook. And the week after that, April 21st, the NCTA Rodeo Team will be competing in Lincoln at the UNL Rodeo. Also on that same weekend, April 21st, about 50 NCTA students and faculty will be attending the 2018 National Contest for an organization called the North American Colleges and Teachers of Agriculture. Last year, NCTA was very successful and earned the place of number two overall college when we look at all agricultural disciplines that competed in this contest. So we have quite a bit going on at NCTA, a lot of extracurricular activities. They're all tied to agriculture. It makes it a very fun place to go to school. It keeps our students very engaged on campus, has them working very closely with our faculty and staff, and it's one of the reasons why our students are so successful in their academic endeavors. Dr. Rosati, one of the inherent strengths of the campus at NCTA is the quality of the academic programs available. Tell us more about the current strength of these programs and some of the new programs on the horizon for the campus. NCTA offers academic programs in all areas of veterinary technology and agriculture, and we measure the effectiveness of those programs by the success of our graduates. And as I mentioned earlier, our graduates are more successful than those of 99% of the two-year colleges in the United States. We've added a few programs in the last few years in areas such as agricultural welding, agricultural chemical applications, irrigation technology, equine industry management, dairy production, and laboratory animal care. And for this coming fall, we've got a new program starting in poultry production, and the program's developed in cooperation with Mississippi State University's Department of Poultry Science. Dr. Rosati, the last word is yours. What's going on on campus at NCTA this week? It's a very busy place. This is the final week before spring break, so there's a lot of excitement on campus. Weather's been very nice. The livestock are enjoying it, and our students are enjoying it very much. NCTA is a great place to start a career in agriculture and veterinary technology, and we're open to additional students this fall. So for people looking for more information, I'd encourage you to take a look at our Facebook page or visit our website at ncta.unl.edu. That was Dr. Ron Rosati, the Dean of the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture in Curtis, joining us as a special guest on our Chat with the Chancellor series here in the spring 2018 semester. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we take a chunk of the closing livestock futures. Joining us to do that is Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. And Joe, we end the week with uh, somewhat separated cattle markets and futures in the red. Uh, yes, we sure do. we Got two different markets going, and we, it's been that way for uh, for a few days. And uh, you know, difference between cash and futures. Futures uh, means what people think of the future, not uh, what's happening now. And that's one of the reasons. Uh, a lot of expectations that there's going to be uh, a lot of cattle coming uh, in the weeks ahead, and that's uh, why the defensive type action. Cutouts were higher again today. Cash is traded uh, uh, strong all week, but uh, the futures going to finish lower for the week and lower for the day today. Uh, tried to rally, but uh, just didn't have enough oomph to get get there today. Same way in the feeders. Feeders uh, following right along, uh, but the, the actual feeder uh, cash trade has been weaker throughout the week, though this week. But we're still discounted. So, uh, returning to the hogs, uh, going to finish uh, mostly lower. The only one uh, closing unchanged was the May contract. The rest just slightly lower. We did manage to make a little comeback uh, on most of the 
contracts right there at the end, so not significantly lower for the day. Cash seemed to be weak. The uh, cutouts uh, holding in there, but uh, uh, still some concern there. We finished lower for the week in all three contracts. That's Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities discussing the closing livestock futures with us. If you'd like more information, call Joe, 1-800-328-0134. The tax debate continues on 199A. I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Now, earlier this week, the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives and the National Grain and Feed Association issued a release that they believe they've come up with a solution to the 199A tax credit that not only benefits cooperatives but also benefits independent grain operators as well. Now we've heard from producers that wanted 199A to stand as it was revised, but we haven't heard from the other side, the independent grain buyers. So that today we go to Brunswick, Nebraska, John Moret, who's the fourth generation owner operator of Moret Grain Company that was started in 1923 to discuss what is at stake for independent grain companies and john we thank you for joining us on under 199a as it stands because it has not been redacted at this point what is at stake for these independent grain companies you bet clay thanks for having me i think what's at stake is consolidation and less competition for the farmer's grain so we believe a couple things would happen the first one is uh, you would see less competition um, if you didn't do that and we can cover this a little later in your questions i think you would have independents that are able create a co-op structure. Uh, in that co-op structure, I think it would add costs, and ultimately the, the farmer would pay for that. So we just think it's best if you roll it back. And really, 199A doesn't just stem to where producers are selling their grain, but it could actually flow up the chain. Do you see 199A possibly have an effect on how uh, even like land prices and land rent, could that be affected because of this tax law as it currently stands? Of course it would, and I don't think people are paying attention to what you're talking about, but in theory, you could have an outside investor, somebody from a big city, come back out, buy ground, farm it, because they could take that 20% of the gross sale deduction directly to their W-2, so it doesn't have to be farm-related income. Um, I I think it would artificially inflate land prices, rent prices, and, and ultimately run the family farmer out of business. John, we've heard from producers who are concerned about basis and the widening basis gap. Talk to us about how Moret Grain sets basis and what producers can do to improve that number. You bet. And, and that's one of the things that piqued my interest in your earlier interview was, was the producer talking about how um, this could help them with basis. Basis is a function of supply-demand, specifically competition for your grain. So as you're farther away from the market, the cash price or the basis in this case gets a little cheaper. Um, a couple things as you're away from a river system affected. It is primarily railroads and, and like I indicated, uh, close demand to you. Feedlots, ethanol plants, uh, hog producers. Nebraska has got some good things going up with Fremont. I think all of those things affect the basis of your grain. And I, uh, I believe that those are the kind of things that could help stabilize and improve your basis, not a structure based out of Washington. And prior to this 199A debate, independent grain companies have have stayed competitive with co-ops, and before 199A, it was somewhat of a level playing field. How have you guys been able to stay competitive with co-ops where, in theory, they should be able to uh, produce, of course, in large quantity and buy in large quantity for inputs and sell for their outputs? You bet. Great question, and and I think it's the good old-fashioned way. It's pull up your bootstraps and go to work. 
um, get her earlier, stay later, work harder, and, and stay nimble. I, I think that's the advantage that the private uh, industry's had forever. That's John Moret, a fourth-generation owner of an independent grain company, talking on the independent grain side of the 199A tax debate. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, as we take a look here, very similar to yesterday's close, we have wheat kind of taking a hard sell-off here at the end, corn falling behind, but soybeans on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. They have liquidation both on uh, on the wheat and the corn side. must be spreading. Pretty much the only thing I can conclude here, looking at corn and, and wheat on its lows and, and beans almost on their high of the day. Uh, you know, going into next week, it's not a great time to close in your low on a Friday. But in the case of wheat, I think a lot of this has to do with uh, some talk about some banking problems over in Russia and a bailout that might be coming down, which is really going to weaken the ruble. So we've seen the strengthening of the ruble over the last couple of months really help wheat prices. Uh, globally come up and we've seen the the egyptians pay a lot more we've seen a lot of offers from russia really go up and i think that's been a supportive factor on this rally but um, you know I, I think a lot of it points towards liquidation here a little bit of a weather pattern change or at least a, a shot at some rain here on monday um, so the opportunity for a turnaround next week is there but certainly not exciting to go home here on the low of the day overall are we starting to turn from a buyer's market now to more of a bearish seller's market across the board no, I don't think so. I think in the case of corn, this is an opportunity. I mean, it's it's hard to get too uh, myopic here. You know, as the markets have really rallied, and, and over the shorter run, we've seen. Um, you know, I mean, what we corrected seven eight cents now on December, so that, I wouldn't be shocked. Maybe we dip our heads back below four dollars. Um, but again, this is about acreage down the road, and I mean, if you really can cut through a lot of the price action today in the last you know forty eight hours. Uh, corn really needs to see higher prices, not lower prices, especially if beans are going to rally. So uh, this is an opportunity for me uh, to get some calls on, I think, longer term in the summer. But, you know, the market is not going to shoot straight up to 450, in my opinion. I think it's a, uh, it's a trending market that will get there eventually, uh, but over the, the longer run. But in the short term, you're going to see these chops continue. So uh, I think in the beans, you maybe look at it as a marketing opportunity here. If you, if you haven't sold a little bit, uh, I think buying some puts ahead of the report is probably the game plan I'll take. Um, That'll be two weeks from now. So I think the market is a little bit in a little bit of a lull where there isn't a lot to talk about. In the case of wheat, it's all about weather. But you know, I, I'd be hesitant to say that the market is uh, you know, not, say seen its highs, but I think seeing the last of that 550 level, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. For more information and to hear more from them, visit danielsagmarketing.com. That's danielsagmarketing.com. As we take a look here, again, corn and wheat trying to close down on their lows of the day while soybeans pushing towards their highs. You can always find more ag news and market information at ruralradio.com. <laughs> 